0: When everything is going just fine, feeling appreciative and feeling grateful is easy to do. When the car won't start or you don't have a car and your shoelace broke and you cut your finger, finding appreciation and finding gratitude is challenging. My guest today wrote a book about appreciation we discuss what it means to be appreciative and to show gratitude, and why that matters. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 183. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is
1: free, but the food is on you.
0: libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Do you have a podcast and need good guests? Are you a guest and want to find some hosts? Podmatch puts guests and podcasters together. I've used it. Rashawn Parker, Lynn Bowman, and Mike Duffy are all Podmatch members. Today's guest is is a PodMatch member, too. Check them out. Use my link, culinarylibertarian.com slash podmatch, to start your membership and find great guests or great hosts. Stephen Crane is my guest today. Stephen is the author of the memoir, I Can Appreciate That, as well as the novel, Staring at the Ceiling, and more than a million words of advertising copy. His other full-time jobs are husband and father, with additional titles including coach, volunteer, foster parent, mentor, and pancake aficionado. The last one we're going to get into, as you would probably expect. Hello, Stephen. Thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian
1: Podcast. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, you're very welcome. I'm glad you're here because there was uh, I read uh, you well, this is inside baseball for the listeners, but there's a uh podcast website that's that's for podcast hosts or guests. And it's called PodMatch. And I'll put a link to that on the show notes page because you can sign up and if you want to be a host or a guest. Um so on your Little brief bio there. Uh, there's the interesting stuff about you and your books, which we're going to talk about. And then there's this pancake aficionado. So, oh, I have got to talk to this guy. So we're going to get to that in a minute. Before we get into everything, give us a quick brief bio uh, about about how you got to be where you are.
1: Perfect. Uh, well, so uh, where you know, where where I am uh, geographically is in Atlanta, Georgia. About as far away uh, from you and still being in America as possible. Um, and, uh, so I have lived here almost my whole life. Uh, went to school for a brief time at university of South Carolina, came back here, met my wife, have two awesome teenage boys, which is a daily adventure all of its own and, uh, have spent roughly 25 plus years, uh, as an advertising writer, uh, which, um, like a lot of other industries, is sort of a roller coaster of feast and famine. And uh, uh, in the uh, times in between gigs, um, I've had an opportunity to uh, to write a couple of books, uh, which I guess is where we find ourselves today. Right. So w- uh, the main topic
0: today I want to talk about is gratitude. Um, the world has been through one heck of an ordeal these last two years, and Sadly, it's still continuing as an ordeal, and that's a lot to take in. That's all external stuff. Gratitude seems entirely internal. It is you, and if you believe or if you have faith, it's you and the Lord. How does gratitude change us? And maybe that's the second question. The first question
1: maybe is, what is gratitude? Uh, Well, so gratitude is is sort of inexorably linked to appreciation. You know, I think it is, it is our ability to uh, to be able to understand what has happened to us and to appreciate it, which uh, as I mentioned, I'm a writer. And so I tend to be a, um, a word person. I I revolve around words and I, I, As I started the process of writing what would become my second book, uh, which is sort of a a meditation on gratitude and appreciation, where I started was with the dictionary, right? I had been given this word appreciate as um, sort of a a seed that was planted in me from a couple of different people, uh, which we can get to in a minute. But um, I wasn't surprised to find that there were multiple definitions of the word appreciate. How, How would you define the word appreciate?
0: I, I think the sort of the first thing that comes to mind is to be thankful for, well, either either the thing or, or the situation that I, that I find myself
1: in, the thing that I have with the place that I am. Perfect. Which that is, so that thankfulness, that gratitude is one of those four primary definitions, right? So but what I discovered, and I, and I sort of wasn't surprised, but it was a nice reminder When I went back and looked at the definition of appreciate, there's actually four of them and they kind of work in this stair-step kind of foundational way, right? So on the very first level is just to appreciate something is to just be able to uh, see that it exists, right? I can appreciate that there's a car outside my window, right? On the second level, uh, beyond just recognizing that something exists is to understand that thing's worth, right? I can appreciate there's a car outside my window. And if I needed to go somewhere, that's what its job is, right? That third level is to be grateful, right? That appreciation, that gratitude, oh my gosh, there's a car outside my window. And if I really had to go to work, or if there was an emergency, or something happened, if I need to be in a different place, oh my god, I'm so grateful that I I appreciate that that car is there. The fourth level is actually um, sort of the the monetary sort of real estate definition that people sometimes get to is increasing something's value, right? Uh, your portfolio hopefully appreciates over time, although not in this necessary uh, world that we're living in. Um, but so that monetary thing where things raise in value. And so if that car is sitting outside and Uh, If my neighbor needs something, or if I can go do something to help somebody with that car, then I am appreciating its value even further, right? I'm, I'm taking something and I am making more out of it than it would be before I got to it, which that applies to things, money, people, relationships, situations, everything, right? So all of that sort of becomes the framework for I can appreciate that I looking at situations that you would originally look at and go, oh, man, that kind of sucks. I, I, don't, I don't appreciate that. That That's that's where I came to this project from. Um, actually, with the help of one of my teenage sons um, who pointed out to me that uh, not not incorrectly, that I am a terrible cynic and that I happen to be a fairly pessimistic uh, and uh, so he he called me out on that and asked me why I was always so negative. And uh, I didn't really have an answer for him. Uh, but over the course of what turned out to be all of 2020, um, I got to investigate that and look for the answer to that question and, and found it in a series of essays that I wrote about challenging events in my life that originally I looked at and went, oh, my God, that that's awful. That's terrible. Why did that happen to me? That sucked. I don't appreciate that. When you go back and you look at that stuff, you realize almost without, without fail, there are these amazing blessings hiding in there that when you see it and you get it and you see, you recognize the full value of something and you're able to pay it forward, that it's kind of life-changing. I'm going to ask
0: you a kind of in the weeds question about, the philosophy of a cynic. Yeah. And that is now I I think I'm coming from I'm I'm forming this question from the probably well under informed idea of a cynic is just always negative, everything's terrible, everything sucks, nothing's good. Can and, and this is this isn't really to derail the show, but I'm I'm genuinely interested. Can you can one be a cynic and have an appreciation for things?
1: Uh, yes, uh, and I think i 'm living proof of that um, so i uh, I am horribly cynic. I do tend to be the half the glass half empty kind of guy. you know if you give me a situation, um, my first default um, I, I think it's probably the way I would answer that is probably there's a default response. And then there's what you're capable of beyond that. Right. So even though I spent like a year, essentially what I call marinating my brain in the spirit of gratitude, um, which has made a difference, a, a, a significant difference in my life and my outlook, um, I still tend to be default cynical. When something happens, I'm like, Oh, of course, that's what's going to happen. You know, of course, you know, what was anything else going to happen? That's, that's how things work. Um, but then because you've retrained your brain, because you've spent time learning and, and thinking about uh, why things happen and, you know, investigating the, the connections and the history and all that stuff, you, you can get to. Oh, well, but what does it mean? And you come out the other side and you can, you can see that there's, there's a bright side to the dark side. There's, you know, if, if the glass is half empty, it's also half full, which is, you know, there's a philosophical (laughs) sort of divisions. But yes, you, you, you absolutely can be cynical and still have an appreciation for things.
0: Oh, one of the things you also said was, and, and the example was that. You have a car and you appreciate that you have a car. And I'm assuming that the car functions because if it doesn't function. It's harder to be grateful that you have an automobile that won't go anywhere. Um, So you have an automobile that functions and your neighbor requires your services to do something that's important right then and there. I cut my finger off. Let's go to the hospital. So the value of that car now is almost immeasurable, even if it's barely functioning, that you can get this person where... That person needs to be for the help she needs, man, that's great that's a an immediate return in appreciation. Sometimes I think there are situations, and I can't exactly come up with one right now where I'm going to mix metaphors here. the dividends of appreciation are delayed
1: that's and often the case,
0: yeah. I think situations like that, and we'll, we'll use an obvious one, getting punched in the nose. It's very difficult to sit here without being punched in the nose to come up with some some idea of like, why would I appreciate getting punched in the nose? I can't even begin to think about how
1: that's beneficial to me in any way, shape, or form. But well, so um, yes, absolutely. Uh, I I would suggest that. Uh, it is, um, and I don't know that there's. There are probably situations that you can objectively look at and go, there is nothing to appreciate in that. That's just that that was a bad thing that happened, and you know, let's just move on or whatever. Um, in in my experience, um, the the return on the investment is almost never immediate, and so the uh, the waiting game. And the the ability to have patience and uh, you mentioned having faith, you know, uh, earlier in the conversation, that ability to to walk in the certainty that eventually you're going to gain truth, understanding, benefit, reap the reward, get the investment out of that. Um, The ability to to faithfully be okay with that um, is also sort of life changing. right, so uh, an example would be, um, and one of the things I wrote about is uh, sort of my career arc. Um, I, for about 14 years, uh, worked for one particular company, and uh, for the, I would say probably the first two-thirds of that, um, it was a a genuinely good experience. It was life-changing when I started that relationship and was good for many, many years. And at some point, it became not that anymore, and I stayed there for a long time after that, and probably two at least two years before I left that job, um, I was actively looking for a way not to be there anymore to the extent that I had sort of checked out and I, and I was already in that place where I was saying, what what is the benefit? Why am I here what is what is there to appreciate about, appreciate about this Nothing." I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I don't enjoy this anymore. The people are not who they used to be. You know, this, what is there to appreciate about this? And what I realized in hindsight is that the place that I have ended up beyond that. uh, So I left that job five years ago, the place that I ended up beyond that wasn't ready for me yet. Right. So there were still things that needed to happen in order for me to end up in the place where the parachute that I was looking for was packed and ready for me to jump because if i if I had quit any of the ten times that I wanted to previous to when I actually left, it would have been out of spite, it would have been out of frustration, it would have been without a plan um, and that would have felt that would have felt good for like thirty minutes right Just burn the bridges down, tell people they suck move on and, you know, send your anger emails and and go out in a blaze of glory. That's great. You wake up the next morning, and you're like, okay, <laughs> now what? You know, by being patient and, and waiting to see um, what might lie ahead, I have ended up in another life-changing situation that has, has been beautiful um, in multiple ways for the last five years, none of which would have been possible if I had um, burned it all down when I when I wanted to.
0: One of the things that I can't help but thinking about in this and in, in your explanation of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and then finally making the move and then seeing that, wow, this is what's waiting for me. What if you waited two more weeks? What if you waited another month? Now, um, there's no way to know what the outcome is going to be, but it's it's, and it's It might not actually even be a fruitful exercise to to engage in that kind of thinking. I I think a lot of, I think the possibility to have negative reflection, this is probably not the right words, but have negative self-reflection on, well, yeah, I'm really happy with where I am now. The last five years have been great, but what if it could have been better? And the what if is a terrible, horrible, awful phrase. Uh, if yep. you let yourself go down those rabbit holes too far without, now this we this is, this is a whole other ball of wax. Boy, we're just doing, <laughs> just burning through the metaphors today. But I, 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 maybe the value in that kind of thinking is to, huh, this is interesting. Maybe the value in that thinking is even if. In, in some immeasurable way, a future choice would be better than what you have now. It does still seem to provide a concrete opportunity for appreciation of what you did achieve by making the decision you made at the time. Wow. We went a long way in two minutes there.
1: No no I think that's right. Um but so to to the first question you asked there, you know, what what if I had waited two more weeks? What if I'd waited another month? Um so uh on one level, the opportunity that I did uh jump to may have disappeared, right? It it most likely would have disappeared or changed form. Um and the so the the real answer to that question is you'll never know and neither will anybody else. Right. Because we are sort of a product of the choices that we make and the things that happen to us. And you can play that. What if game as long as you want. And it is uh, painfully unfruitful. (laughs) That is, those are the seeds of um, regret and, uh, and frustration. And I, and and I, and I, spent a lot of years there, you know, in various different forms. Um, But uh, I try not to live there very much anymore because there, there, there's no way to know um, what, what could have been if something else had happened.
0: I think that obviously that's true. You can't know, you can't know what didn't happen. You can't know the future. It's just, this is as I'm, it was in part trying to be a smarty pants, asking the question, but it sort of backfired on me because I'm, thinking more about this and (laughs) it's, well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It can, so the what if thing in that situation can can be a terribly negative impact on somebody who, I, I think this, I think there's a certain level of mental strength required to engage in the what if proposition and. Still be good with the choice that was made that you're in now. I think, I think that takes some. Well, well, I think that takes testicular fortitude to make a choice, do the what if game and say, nah, you know what? I'm good. Even if the other thing could have, because who, who, who knows what could have been. So there's, there's an interesting. So now we have a moment after this what if game to have gratitude and appreciation for the thing we have. And I think because I'm only an American, that's all I really know. I think we have a tendency to not appreciate what it is that we have. It, with all of the th- with, <laughs> you've got a car that works and you've got, A spectacularly complicated and relatively affordable computer in your hand, and there's not very much that you can want that you can't get almost relatively instantly compared to 100 years ago. When just it's the the opportunity to have is immense, and yet we seem it seems that there are so many people who don't appreciate and don't and and are not grateful for, for the abundance that exists. And that's probably another show, but that seems
1: to be, there seems to be a big problem in the sense that. So I would suggest that the, um, the value So we're talking about raising the value of things, right. Um, the value of something, the, the value of money is what you can buy with it. The value of money is what you can do with it. The value of money is what impact you can make with it. That That's all that it is. And that's the value of anything. That's the value of a relationship. That's the value of a job. That's the value of uh, anything or uh, any situation. Um, so what you do with what you have, which is that last level of appreciation, that paying it forward, that, you know, uh, growing what you've been given is, in terms of appreciation, that is the real value of all those situations. And like we were talking, you know, when, when the bad things happen and you're trying to figure out what it is or you're playing the what if game. There's value in that. And you're right. It does. It does take, like you said, testicular fortitude, which is a great phrase. It also takes emotional maturity right, it, it, to be OK. If, if you start that process from the place of, of being OK with the choice that you made or where you've landed, for better or worse, you, you can absolutely get there. But the difference that it makes is in taking those experiences and paying them forward either for yourself or even better for other people, when you can look at the things that that have happened to you or the things that you have, uh, particularly if you haven't had them before. It's, It's hard to appreciate things that you have if you've always had them. If you've never not had them, appreciation comes more difficultly. If you come from a place of not having things or stability or purpose or whatever, and you gain those things, Appreciation is almost a natural byproduct of having not had them and then having gained them, right? Then you're able to share those things with other people. And when they're in a place of not having it and, and not having received it yet, they can look at that and go, Oh, okay. I get it. Uh Here's, here's what happened to you. And here's the end result of that. It, it's not the same as what has happened to me. But it's similar, and and I can take knowledge from that. I can take a lesson from it, and and, and feel confident that you know potentially similar outcome is, is in my future as well.
0: One of the one of the kinds of ways I think the dictionary may have missed in describing appreciation is when somebody. So when it, when something. Really great, so your friend wins the lottery. Woo! <laughs> Being able to tell the friend, man, that is great. How fantastic for you and genuinely mean it and not be envious and not say, Well, give me some money, you owe me for the you know fork from 15 years ago to appreciate the good things that happen to other people. Is well <laughs> I think it's a learned skill and it's, 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 it's tough for all of us. And I have my moments where, boy, man, look, <laughs> look how easy that thing was for that person with, I have no idea. I mean, just, I'm looking as they, well, it looks easy. I mean, you know, Jordan made basketball look easy. Magic Johnson made basketball look easy and fun. Now it might be fun. But I'm, I, I know that playing at Jordan's level, it ain't easy. It is, you know, pick, I'm going to date myself, pick Arthur Ashe, Billie Jean King, Jimmy Connor, John McEnroe. They, um, Johnny was fun. He made it look kind of easy. But what you don't know is how many thousands of hours did he practice? Um, I saw a, uh, and, and this isn't because I can't run. <laughs> I can't run. Uh, I saw Usain Bolt ad where he said, and it was so showing, I, I practiced for four years to run for nine seconds. I'm like, wow. Yep. And, and no one sees that. And so now the lottery is probably bad because there isn't skill involved. There isn't effort. There is. So somebody, somebody writes a good book. Somebody carves a piece of wood and it's just, Gorgeous. Somebody paints a great painting. Somebody cooks a good meal. Something that required skill and effort and talent and time. And then someone says, well, oh, man, it was easy for you. Okay. It's, it's okay. You know, thank you for your time. Thanks you for coming by. It's the person who can't appreciate. So here we are. Appreciation. Looking at a thing of beauty and saying, wow. That's a thing of beauty. Going into any major metropolitan museum and looking at the art, now, you don't have to like it all, some of it. I, I think the giant room with a big pile of trash and the modern art isn't pretty. I have no appreciation for a big pile of diapers and calling this modern art. I don't get it. I, I'm sorry. You're wrong. That's not art. That's not pretty. I, I, <laughs> no. But the uh, a Monet, Van Gogh, something like that, that I can appreciate.
1: So I, I think uh, going all the way back to the, the beginning of your train of thought there, in terms of being able to appreciate um, what the good things that happen to other people, right? Um, that that is a learned skill. And I think that um, I think the way that I would put that is that I think that greed and gratitude are probably mutually exclusive, right? If you are in a place where, um, you are unsatisfied with your lot in life, right? You, you don't particularly love yourself. You have low self esteem. You don't like your job. You don't like your relationships there. If, if if you are not full as a person, um, so there's a there's an old saying that you can't pour from an empty cup, right? So if you don't have something to give, you have nothing to give. You you can't. You're you're literally incapable. If um if you are full, you can't help but give because you're overflowing, All right. Gratitude works very much the same way. Gratitude is this thing that wells up within you that is um it, it, I don't I don't know what I would, whether I would call it cyclical. But it's sort of, um, persistent, right? It, it, it grows and it grows and it grows. The more that you practice it, the more of it you have and you can't help but be grateful or wanting to share the things that you have. Uh, it becomes a mindset and it becomes a lifestyle. But if you don't have that from the outset, you tend to be incapable of of doing those things and and having the joy that they bring, which is not to say that if, if my neighbor, um, or my best friend won the lottery, I wouldn't have some of those thoughts myself, you know, but I, I wouldn't lose a minute of sleep, um, over, um, somebody else having $200 million and me not. Um, because there are, you know, that, that comes with its own challenges, right? You know, that, being the person who has 200 million, suddenly that person's very popular. You know, everybody wants a piece. You know, and that's more money, more problems, right? You know, you every everyone has an opportunity to do what they can with their own resources, uh, in in their own scale, to to share the time, gifts, and talents that they have. And winning the lottery would would probably be it, it might be a it might be a wash in terms of um, good versus bad, and it might actually be a net negative, depending on you know who came right. for you. You
0: know, I think you're right that the person we'll keep the cup metaphor. The person who has an empty cup, empty of self-esteem, empty of gratitude, empty of joy and appreciation, can't give any of those things. But here's what I think is an amazing thing about. But the human, that individual can refill that cup. I can't fill yours and I can't fill anybody else's, but I can I can make mine to overflowing. Now, going from it being empty to learning how to fill it and then give away its contents, you know, that's that's not a short step that's not a short journey that takes well i think people have devoted lives and careers to writing books about how that happens and there's no i mean there there's as many ways to do it as there are people on the planet to do it so there isn't any one there isn't any exactly one right way but there are tips, tricks, and techniques that you can use, and that makes it sound like it's easy, but it's not. But that's not the show. But it's it's an interesting thing for me to observe that because I think we probably all, and it might even be from hour to hour, depending on what's going on in the day and in our world, we may, we may like, you know, the, so the car we appreciate won't start. The neighbor who needs us can't get the help she needs. And just this confluence of things go wrong and it's easy to have this cup go from overfill, overflowing to completely drained in the course of an hour and the next hour something amazing happens that you may or may not have had any direct control over but your cup's got something in it again And it's 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 impressive and maddening kind of at the same time when this feels so sometimes
1: so much out of our control. Uh, you, so spoiler yes. alert, um, you don't have any control over it and, and you probably never will. Uh, yeah. And neither do I and neither does anybody else. Right. So that, that, that's that's a lesson that uh, when um, when you gain comfort with that idea, um, it helps as well. But but I'm curious why you uh, why you suggested that we can't fill each other's cups. Um, why why can we not?
0: Because it's I because would, you I have would seen, well um, let me try and answer, and I'm I'm willing to listen, but I, I have an idea, and yeah. it is because it is uniquely yours, and is finally up to you to make the decisions to alter your behavior, to do, we can find whatever the words are for that situation, but you have to fill your cup. Now I can give you all the niceness. I can give you the platitudes. I can give you genuine appreciation, but if you reject them, your cup doesn't fill. So I think, I think external opportunities exist, but I think it fundamentally ends up on that individual to make the decision to accept or reject those events and that
1: decision will impact whether or not the cup gets filled. So I, I think you're absolutely right that you, that it all that is dependent upon our willingness to accept what is given. Um, so, um, which is an important distinction, I guess I wasn't recognizing in your original statement. Um, I guess I would ask you, do you, um, Do you know the difference between mercy and grace?
0: I I, I think the line between those two is somewhere
1: in the word or the idea of forgiving or forgiveness. Okay. So mercy is when you don't get what you deserve, right? So... Somebody has the power to Lord over you or somebody else is in control of your situation and they decide to release you from suffering. That is mercy. You don't get what you deserve, right? Grace on the other hand is when you, it's the opposite. It's when you get what you don't deserve. Right? So that is um, if someone of their own volition out of the kindness of their own heart decides to fill your cup with money or opportunity or compassion or mercy or they for no reason whatsoever. And and of course the example to look at there is Jesus, you know, for gave us what we didn't deserve at all, filled all of our cups infinitely. Right. And so to your earlier point, it is incumbent upon us to look at that and go, All right. So, do I decide to accept that gift? Do I decide to accept that grace? Um, And you're right. You could. uh, Someone could fill your cup, and you could decide to drop it on the ground and forego it. You could decide to, you know, throw it in their face out of spite. You could do. You know, you could do so many things. Or, or you could. gratefully drink it and quench your thirst or, you know, empower your soul, you know, whatever it is. Um, it, you're right. You, you, you can decide to forego it. Um, and that's all of our choices constantly. Um, but I, I think uh, it's absolutely possible and probably critical that we um, fill each other's cups as much as possible.
0: Yeah. I think there's something to that. I think, I think there's a lot to that. Um. We've talked a little bit about the bad things that happen. And I suppose there's this rabbit hole possible that trying in every single bad thing that happens, trying to find the lesson, what's the thing to be grateful for here? But is it ever the case that sometimes just bad things happen for no other reason than you ran, somebody left nails in the street, you ran over them and you popped your tire. It's like, oh my gosh, Nothing. <laughs> how do you find gratefulness? Is it even worth the time to look for gratefulness and appreciation when your tire is flat in the middle of the road? I
1: mean, sometimes just don't just bad things happen. Uh, yes, I, I think they do. I, I absolutely think they do. Um, it depends on, I think, how long of an arc you want to look at, right? So, um, it, if you run over, a nail on the street and you end up on the side of the road, then yeah, you probably didn't get to where you were going to. And your, your timeline probably changes. It could be that um, you didn't get hit by the train that was coming down the tracks, you know, two miles down the road because you pulled over, you know, there are people who um, there are amazing stories of people who were supposed to be in the world trade center on nine 11, who weren't there because their car broke down or because they missed a flight or because, you know, whatever, you know, that goes both ways. You know, again, it's, it's not ours to know um, there there's, there's sort of two ways you can look at the big picture, right? Either everything happens for no reason whatsoever and we're not in control of any of it and nothing that we do matters because nothing means anything or there's this master plan, right? That we, also don't get to control that is somehow uh, weaving through everybody's lives and is um, yeah, what you do impacts yourself and other people and what other people do impacts themselves and you in ways that you're probably never going to know, um, but something is in control of that. And you you can adopt either one of those um philosophies, um, but it's a lot less frustrating um, to go with the latter yeah. than the former. <laughs> you know, just just assuming that there's nothing out there and it makes no difference what we do. That's like uh, that's the maximum of cynicism, um, which um, I, I have lived there um, during my darkest times uh, where it just doesn't matter. And, you know, fine, if that's going to happen to me, then it doesn't matter what I do because nothing matters. Um, that's a terrible place to be. I, I, I lived there for uh, uh, too long, um, and and I, I would hope never to live there again. Uh, but I have been there. Uh, the The other side of that coin is a much um, happier place to be. Uh, you mentioned
0: earlier, and we talked a little bit about waiting on waiting to make the decision to make the move. And um, Joseph Campbell, who had. Many skills. One of them was included in being a magnificent quote machine had this nugget quote, we must let go of the life we have planned so as to accept the one waiting for us. End quote. Now that's probably a whole show all by itself because how do you know when to act? What if you wait too long? What if you don't wait long enough? And it's just, it's, it's a great quote, like, yeah, it's empowering, I can sort of do that. But if you, if you pursue the rabbit hole, it's like, oh, brother, man, there's a lot of meat on these bones. And it's, it's mostly offered as an interesting observation that making the choice to change at the time you make the choice to change is probably the right thing to do at the moment. and. So we're back to the what if game and second guessing. And I think everybody listening has done the second guessing and the triple guessing and the quadruple guessing. And, and you can, you can guess yourself to inaction. You can, you can just freeze on the spot. You can never leave your chair because what if I get up and trip on my shoelace? What if I get up and trip on the cat? What if I get out the door and get hit by the, and you just, Stop with what is.
1: So, absolutely. I think a lot of people live in uh, paralysis uh, of exactly that order. Um, but it, it, the quote you shared is perfect. You know, I think Campbell uh, spent two sentences um, basically suggesting what I was suggesting that there's two possibilities, right? You, know, you stop living the life that you want to live, and, or and, Start living the life you were meant well, to live. He, he did in right? three
0: words: "Follow your right. bliss." Yeah, there you go. And it's it's like hog, oh. but you know it took what 40, <laughs> 40 years of reading everything ever written just to get to that point. When, just this is this is impossible for one person to answer for anybody else. But because you're here, I'm going to ask it anyway. Suppose, no, let me rephrase that. I suppose the question is, how does anyone know when, when you've let go enough or when it's time to let go? So can you offer maybe your own personal experience? How did you know at that particular moment what, what was your emotional state at the time to say this Now is the time for somebody who's listening saying, well, I'm on this. I'm, I'm thinking I need to make a change. How do I know when's the right time to make the change? Can you give any guidance on how they can formulate the thoughts to make their best, (laughs) like spot, make your best guess?
1: So um, I I think the answer to that is probably situational. Um, People people talk often about going with your gut and having a gut reaction. And a lot of times our intuition is, is pretty good. Um, but there are lots of cases when, when it's not, when you're acting purely on uh, emotion or on instinct, um, instinct is really good at getting us out of immediate danger. Right. But it doesn't necessarily always solve our problems, right? That's the whole fight and flight reflex where if, if your instinct is to jump away from a, a lion or you know whatever it is you know something that's coming to harm you, you know, or to get out of the way of a moving car right so you your instinct got you out of the immediate danger but now what uh, you know it's it, making decisions and knowing when to do the right thing is uh, your instinct can guide you your gut can guide you but I guess I go back to emotional maturity. You have to, you have to have a plan in order for that. Most of the time, sometimes, sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you, you make a jump and you don't really have a plan and you just go with your gut. And that's like the difference between betting on red and black on a roulette wheel. That, that might work out and you might, you know, you might double your money. You might also lose it all. Right. So that, that's a little bit of an iffy situation. Uh, It can pay off, but it it doesn't always Um, having a plan and having some forethought about what you want out of that situation before you make a decision based purely on emotion um, is is probably the best advice I would give there. And, And it's something that, you know, is, you know, again, it's situational. If you're talking about when is the right time to move on to a job, move on from a job Uh, Well, probably when a better opportunity presents itself, when you're talking about when is the right time to let go of a of a terribly abusive relationship. It's not necessarily when the next when a better relationship comes along. It's when you it's as soon as you can. Right. It's as it's as soon as you can find your way to a better situation. And that doesn't necessarily mean a new relationship. That means a safer place that means, you know, getting yourself out of the situation. Uh, So, you know, again, it's, it's situational, but you have to sort of have a destination um, an alternate destination in mind, I would assume to, uh, to, for it to be the, the, there's there's the right time for the short term and there's the right time for a longer term. And You can get out of a situation in the short term using instinct. But I think for longer term success, that has to come with some degree of thoughtfulness in a plan. Mm, I think that's right. Having a plan is a very good thing. (laughs) And and relationships can be tricky in that regard, too. I mean, one one of the things that I write about at length, um, and I can appreciate that, is um, my unfortunate experiences um, with people I care about uh, having cancer. And so, um, uh, in too many of those instances, unfortunately, the people who, um, who I cared about, um, did not survive. And so you, one of those people being my own sister. Uh, so you, you can hold on to those things. At, let me tell you for a really, really, really long time. And, and the question there becomes, what is it that you're actually holding on to? Right. You can you can hold on to, you know, when, when you lose something, whether it's a, a person or a job or, you know, you know, something something else of value, you can hold on to the, um, the thing that you lost and the frustration around what you don't have anymore. Um, Or at a certain point, you make a pivot and you begin to appreciate what it was that you had in the first place and you begin to live in appreciation of of the thing that you had, um, you begin to um, honor its legacy and its value, and find ways to to pay it forward. So it's it's really becomes a product of what it is that you're holding on to, and and that is that's a very long process in some instances.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry to say I have more than a passing familiarity with the cancer and family thing. Brother, mother, father, grandfather, and that's just the first quick list. And then there's
1: more after that. It, it's awful. It is awful. <laughs> and it's you know, one of the things that, uh, one of the greatest gifts that, uh, that the experience of, of writing this book uh, has given me is, um, is a sense of community, uh, a sense of empathy uh, and sympathy uh, where uh, there's... There's this therapeutic thing that happens in general when you share, when you are able to take those things uh, from within yourself and put them outside of yourself, whether that's speaking them or writing them down or sharing them, you know, through some other endeavor, getting them outside of yourself is, is physically, mentally, and spiritually therapeutic. Um, but the thing that happens from an appreciation standpoint is when other people read in this in this instance, read those experiences that I've had uh, almost without exception uh, people's response to that is, "Oh my God, me too. Uh, the exact thing that happened to you probably didn't happen to me, but let me tell you what happened to me, and then you end up having a dialogue and having conversations like you and I are having right now. You and I have never met before and and we're having you know what what I hope is a helpful conversation for. For me, for you, and for anybody else who's listening to this, you know, and and that's that that's this amazing gift of sharing your own experiences and hopefully appreciating them uh, for somebody else's benefit. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that, and
0: sharing experiences of passing of loved ones is probably certain. I'm putting values on it. I think that might I don't know if that's wrong or if that's right, but I think there's a higher humanitarian value for the rest of the readers who are both I think I think there's a catharsis there on some level, but there's also a a a bonding, which you mem- mentioned a a forming of a community of shared experiences. Um now <laughs> my experience base is predominantly in food. And what I've discovered over the years of working in the kitchen is even with recipe shorthand from cook to cook, and and trust me, there is a shorthand. um, (laughs) Most, if I, if I gave a recipe procedure to somebody who doesn't know the shorthand we've developed, they look at us and say, what is this? This is insane. you says, this is, this is, it's it's a list of ingredients. And you say, mix this in the muffin method. What does that mean? I don't know what you're talking about or make, make this sauce like a gastric, huh? English, please. So there's every, everyone's knowledge base serves toward a specific community of people who they can help. and, and, I think maybe some people's is better than others or you now better is very, very subjective. Um, different than others. Different, for sure. and, and on yeah. some level, I think there's, there's a higher purpose, higher order, but now I'm getting weird. All right, let's move on for a minute and let's talk about something very, very important. Let's talk about pancakes. What? <laughs> I
1: was hoping you were going to go there from your culinary. Uh... What makes a perfect pancake? pancake uh so hopefully as as a culinary person you'll appreciate this but my my sense is that pancake batter is the perfect blank canvas and that what makes the perfect pancake is what the chef brings to it right you can have savory pancakes with bacon and pineapple or you can have you can put um, Cocoa Krispies in pancakes, you can put chocolate, fruit, or, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you, it, it, what makes the perfect pancake is creativity and um, a vision for what you want it to be.
0: So as a self-proclaimed pancake aficionado, did I get that right? You did. Do you have a preferred... I'm, I'm assuming you make your mix at home from just a bag a bunch of ingredients. You don't open a box of bisquick. Is there you do? Have you played with flour ratios? All-purpose, cake, pastry, bread. Is there some, or is is though? Is the difference so indistinguishable that you just go with one particular kind of flour?
1: Um, so it's not indistinguishable and it is, it is amazing the different consistencies that you can get depending on what you use. Um, and so I, I, it may surprise you and it may, um, it may offend you as, as a food person. Um, but some of the better outcomes you can get are with, uh, pre-made mixes. Um, and I'll leave brands out of it entirely, but, um, you know, there's, there's actually um, a gluten-free batter that uh, I never realized was even in existence until um, friends of ours whose daughter is um, on a gluten-free diet uh, suggested it to me. And those are some of my favorites at this point. You know, we, we eat gluten all the time. It's not something we care about, but I'm like, Oh my God, those were delicious. You know, rice flour is, is interesting. Um there's there's all kinds of you know, whole wheat versus, you know, white enriched flour. It, um, they're all just different experiences. Um, some, sometimes you try something and you go, that was disgusting. I won't be doing that again. Nope. Um, and that's just, that's nope. just how what we learn. So what makes it disgusting right? pancake? <laughs> um, so the batter being too thick and a griddle being too hot. Uh, you have to have patience because if you try and cook them too quickly, you're going to burn them and they're going to be disgusting. We have,
0: and in addition to being a chef, I'm also a baker, which is a fairly rare combination. Not just baker, but pastry chef too. And Sweet. Heh, No pun intended. Literally. Yes, pun intended. Um, <laughs> so I'm I like gluten. Gluten does a lot of really fun things for the baker and then for the customer. But we've had to make a change here because one of my family members now needs to go gluten-free. It's not celiac, but it's another thing, but that's another story. And so I had to retool all of my thinking and all of my – so having the skills was a big, big help. But going from gluten-baking to gluten-free baking – is like going from paint by number to well, here's four thousand paints and there's canvas. Go do something. It's it's <laughs> a it to to the baker's to say gluten free can't be that hard. There's probably thirty different kinds of flour, and that that might be a conservative guess. Uh, and every single one of them is different in its own way that they are not interchangeable. <laughs> it's, And then there's dozens of mixes of flours, which all say one-to-one, and I challenge every one of them to prove it to me because I haven't found it yet. So we, I have developed a very nice gluten-free pancake here, which we actually like quite well. Have you had a keto pancake?
1: No, tell me more. So
0: instead of using any grains, it is almond-based, almond flour, almond meal. Uh, a little heavy on the eggs, still gets a leavener, but um, it basically gets two two leaveners. One it gets the chemical leavener, um, probably powder, although if you're, because there's no really acid, you could add tartaric acid to it and then use baking soda. Um, but the other leavener is egg whites. And mm-hmm. I, hmm, I, I I'm thinking that I put that on the blog or not. I'm not sure if I did, but I'll send you um if you're interested in trying and you can say no uh link to or the recipe for the, it's almost it's fantastic it's
1: yeah no i i demand that you i would be happy to do fantastic. it
0: because, so one of the so then if you're going to have keto pancakes you can't go pour maple syrup on there so but you could who cares if you're going for the whole keto right. thing you wouldn't do that but um so that nice um you you've th- there are those little chinese not the fortune cookies, but not everybody has them. They're about two and a half, three inches uh, around, about a half inch thick uh, almond cookies, which have, mm-hmm. and an sometimes it's like a little, maybe a maraschino cherry or some kind of a red jelly inside in the center. But the almondness of those cookies is like, wow. And if you don't like almonds, then that's not any good. The almondness of these pancakes, also with a little bit of almond extract and vanilla extract, the flavor is just amazing. And if you let the pancake get a little extra toasty on the griddle, so caramel is flavor. It's just what it is. Yep. Get a little bit of extra toasty on both sides so that you get a, you can go from, okay, this is almond flavor to like, whoa, this is almond flavor. And man, you know, it's, I like them.
1: Now I'm excited. Send it up. Send I it to all.
0: <laughs> And for the listeners, I'll try and find a way to put the PDF on the show notes page, but I will—I uh, won't promise anything about that. Um, have you found? Have you made a gluten-free recipe that you say this is the one we're going to go with? And you—what and, and are your—are you using a? And you haven't got to name the brand, but some of the.
1: Uh, pre, pre, yeah, it's a—it's just a store bought. It's a store bought brand um, that, uh, that they have used. And, um, and we've played around with it cause that it's like cement mix. You know, if you, if you follow the, the directions on the package, it's, it, it's ridiculous. Um, you have to like water it down um, significantly from what they suggest, uh, to make it, um, workable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a good challenge. Um, I, 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 I actually, um, I I have no training whatsoever. I've never, uh, well, I've delivered pizzas. That's as close as I've ever come to a restaurant job. So I have no training whatsoever uh, on culinary arts, but um, the kitchen is a wonderful um, laboratory and blank canvas. I, I love playing around. Uh, I like the exacting science of following a recipe um, and figuring out um, where you can make small changes, you know, to make something better than a recipe even suggests. Um, but I also like just sort of playing around and going to the refrigerator and going, all right, well, we got nothing here. Oh, look, look at all these things we do have in here and making something that doesn't even exist out of, you know, just whatever yeah. you find. Yeah. I, I will tell you um, I was recently at my parents' house um, and my mom, um, everyone will say this, but in my case, it's actually true. My mom makes the best chocolate chip cookies on the face of the planet. Uh, it's, it's not even disputable. Um, but she has a recipe that she follows and I have tried. Um, uh, she was not feeling well. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make your cookies. And she's like, good luck. <laughs> and so she's got this recipe and I have tried now three different times with three different assistant chefs and, I can't get anywhere close. Every time I make them, they taste a little different and I'm 0 for three. I'm getting anywhere near, uh, what hers are like. And she just, she, you know, she well, she swears. Nope. It's all I do is follow that recipe. And there's, there's magic in the artist that somehow comes out that, uh, and that, that's like all kinds of things in life. You know, you, you can be given a template or a recipe and, um, uh, you, know, you were talking about Michael Jordan you know or whomever you know there's there's magic in the artist that no matter how closely you try and follow what somebody does that's that's just their talent that's just and and you have to appreciate that too
0: does she have does does her recipe include a procedure
1: it does it's it's fairly painstaking um it is uh from Uh, how long you let butter sit out to soften to how long you freeze the batter before you put it in to um, the changing the, uh, the racks on which the position of the rack on which you bake it for a certain period of time. It is, it's ridiculous. And she could probably just do it, you know, from uh, surely she could do it without referencing any of that. It's just instinct to her. Um, But it's, uh, it's maddening to try and do it if you're (laughs) unfamiliar. She's a genius. Uh, Well. Well, that's, I can,
0: I, this is, you'll like that. I can appreciate both the artistry and the frustration in trying to do that. And both, both being the one that. Uh, in the kitchen seemed to do the thing effortlessly and my my, my trainee, whatever the apprentice, just all thumbs. I can't, I can't, I can't. And that's a whole other show too. I have a, I have a 15 year old daughter who's full of I can'ts, you know. And look what you, and like, so you're right, you didn't. <clears throat> so nothing. But I've also been sort of the apprentice watching the exceptionally skilled croissant makers like, well, no, come on, just this and this and this and this. And there's done. It's like, Oh my God, shut up. <laughs> so, and, and I know that at some point he was all thumbs back in France and he was, it wasn't coming together. I know that that takes time. And so, yes, there's, there are levels of all of those things. And the thing that you may enjoy and uh, playing with is, once you now you've got pancake mixed down, pancake is just a muffin. That's all it is because there's a muffin procedure, and that's what pancake muffin. That's what pancake batter is. It just has different ratios of dry to wet than a muffin. One of your observations about gluten free, and for anybody who's listening who's thinking they want to try this because they have need for it, uh, it's not impossible to take a gluten recipe and convert it to gluten-free. The first thing you need to know is because there's, there's no protein in the flours that you're using for gluten-free. And rice, I mean, mung. I can't even think of them all. Rice, tapioca, uh, cassava, potato, uh, brown uh, rice, brown rice, white rice, uh, mung bean, it just goes on and on and on. The absorption. So flour, you make a thing of flour, you put water into it, you put your milk into it, you wait a minute and you scoop your pancakes on the grill, you're good to go. Can't do those gluten free minimum of 10 minute wait for the hydration. And whatever the thing most recipes call for cups. How do you do an eighth, you know, 80% of a cup? Oh man, that's a pain in the bottom. Well, it is a pain in the bottom. Use three quarters, but less gluten free flour across the board for whatever the thing is, then it calls for gluten flour because it's going to absorb more liquid. So you, if you use cup for cup, you're going to get, <laughs> you're going to get cement. And then you say, see, told Jay can't do this. So gluten free takes less flour for the same amount of everything else. It's the best single one tip I can give you. But gluten free is good. I'm glad you like that. I, I will send you the almond recipe, and um, if you can if you can read my chicken scratch, I'll send you a, a photo. I don't actually. I'll, I'll send a picture of the um, gluten free recipe, and it's got the transitions um, for for the gluten free version
1: do it that would be
0: great let's take a moment out for a word from jake about his tasting anarchy podcast
1: Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy Podcast. Join my co host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a Liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or tastinganarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and Liberty Podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink.
0: Little short answer questions, very easy. Of the five flavors, bitter, Salty, sour, sweet, or umami? Which one is your favorite? Sweet. What's your favorite food?
1: I'll answer it this way. If I, it, it, I've said my desert island meal, if I only could eat one meal for the rest of my life, it would be, um, a, a breakfast taco with a fried egg, bacon, cheese, and avocado. What's your least favorite food?
0: Um, Liver? I actually thought you were going to say that. What sound do you love?
1: Um, The sound of, I I love equally the sound of naturally running water and children laughing. What sound do you hate? Um, Engine noise, like um, a hairdryer or an airplane engine. What gets you excited? Um, relationships, in a weird way, connecting with people. What turns you off? Um, trying to think of the, the, the right word to use, but... Um, uh, it's jerks. <laughs> people, people who mean people. <laughs>
0: jerks. <laughs> What's your favorite... Food indulgence.
1: Uh, What do you mean by indulgence? Like something I couldn't, like I wouldn't buy myself, or like an exotic thing I can't find.
0: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of up to you. I
1: mean, to to
0: me, it would be an indulgence would be an expensive thing that I could get rarely, but it's it's possible. But it's it's kind of up to you. So.
1: I'm I'm less adventurous as a food person than I should be, Um, but um, I always like going to those. um, I guess they're like Brazilian steakhouses or whatever that is. Like they'll serve you like 20 different kinds of meat, you know, where you can go. Oh my God, I've never had kangaroo or bat or you know what you know. I I wouldn't want to do that very often, but like every now and then, like oh wow, I wonder what you know. (laughs) I wonder what that tastes like. No all right, and how can people follow you uh, a couple of different ways so um, specific to uh, to this book um, I can appreciate that uh, we actually have a Facebook community um, so just simply I can appreciate that on Facebook um, or uh, Twitter same thing uh, it's i I can appreciate that on Instagram and Twitter and uh, it's, at SteelBrain on Twitter.
0: Okay, I will add uh, those social media links, and I'm also going to put a link uh, to the book. I appreciate that. The Amazon link I'll put on the show notes page, which is going to be com slash 193. Perfect. All right. Well, if nothing else, we've got a good start on um, appreciation and gratitude, and And now it's up to the listener to do the heavy lifting. So thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thanks
1: for the opportunity. Enjoyed enjoyed our conversation. Me too.
0: All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll put the links to Stephen's social media uh, sites that he mentioned on today's show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 183. I'll add a link to Stephen's book. I can appreciate that. Also, on that show notes page. Now, I did say that uh, in in the show, I did say it was episode 193, and that's an error. At some point in the future, I am sorry for the confusion that's going to cause. This episode was a bit philosophical. Next week, we get deep into the philosophical weeds of Stoicism. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher to be sure the show drops in your feed. Also, give the show a rating and a review. If you like the show, head over to culinarylibertarian.com slash support to help support the show. Fiat and a crypto option are there. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate you being here. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.